We give you worship, Lord. Who is like you? Faithful and true God. Unto you we are gathered once again this afternoon. Primarily to worship you. This is a worship service. This is a house of worship and a house of prayer. These are worshipers. Coming to worship the only one who is worthy of all worship. Oh yes Lord. You love our worship. And we magnify you. Accept it of us oh God. Let it be one that's a sweet smelling aroma before you. And let all people know there's a God in Israel. The Israel of God, the church of the living God. And all the honor and praise shall be returned unto you, our God, forevermore. We give you praise in this place, Father. We give you honor. We give you majesty. You are beautiful, exalted, king over all the earth. Accept it of us, O God. In Jesus' mighty name, we have worshipped. If you want to put our hands together in celebration of the choir and yourself for worshiping God. And God bless you. you may be seated. Amen. Still, good morning, uh, everyone. It's nice to be in the house of God. Um, Thank you, Father. I'll just be speaking to us on a topic, uh, the centrality of worship in joyous living. Uh, it's something you know, it's something I know, but something that I believe God is quickening in my heart afresh. It seems to be the obvious, but sometimes the obvious things are the ones that we trip on. More and more I discover that human beings have needs, and real needs for that matter. You agree with me? Uh, and needs are real. And sometimes your need is not my need, and my need is not yours. But one thing is sure, that amongst us as mortals, we have need. The, the, the last verse of that um, special number that you know the, the choir rendered and asked us to join in. Bless the Lord, oh my, so thousand, ten thousand praises. And that last time that ministers a lot to me says, and when the time has come and my strength is failing, you know this body of clay, whether we like it or not, at the time we begin to get weaker. You can't run the way you used to run anymore. But that's not it. That's not the issue. The main issue is that between now and then. There will be needs in our lives as human beings. And as I share these scriptures, it's, I, I was trying, as most things that you will have discovered, I try to condense whatever the scriptures is into biteable forms. Uh, because as human beings, we have, even though we have unlimited potential to learn and to grow, but in reality, we have limited ability to access those potentials. You know, every one of us, we have the potential to run a marathon. Amen. But how many of us have been able to run it? You know, the potential might be there, but the ability to access that potential may not be there much. So that, that has been something very troubling into my heart. And so I, 
try to condense that. How do I know that human beings have needs and that our needs are real? Well, two things I discover through what people will do to have their needs met. You know, people can go to any extent to see that their needs are met. In Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, in a minute we know where I'm going with this one. I want to establish the fact that even though we have needs, those needs can be met. Are you getting what I'm saying? And then, as we're going on, hopefully we come and agree to one overriding need in the life of every human being. But there are general needs to start with. Mark chapter 12, chapter 2, sorry, verses 1 to 12, talks about a man who desperately wanted to be healed. You know that story? And they took him to the, his friends took him to the top of the, um, you know, they couldn't go through the door. They couldn't go through the windows. They didn't have many windows in those days. And when they had, they're going to be very small windows. So they decided to take down the roof. Come on, that's some desperation. You remember Bartimaeus, the so-called Bartimaeus the blind? The same thing was his own problem. He was so desperate, he was shouting like somebody that was crazy. Need was in his life. He was desperately looking for solution to his need. And so if I have needs, which I do, if you have needs, which you do, we are in good company of many men of old. In fact, Jesus Christ, our Lord, had needs, and his needs were met. So that's one thing you will see, that because people will do anything to have their needs met, it tells me that needs are real, and they are crying for answers. Also, some people, they will do anything to see, or they will avoid do anything or something to see that their needs are met. A good example is 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 22 and 23. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 22. That was Saul, who was the man that was to be anointed as king, but he was so incapable in his own eyes. And so, if you just put that up, then they inquired of the Lord for that. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, there he, there he is, hidden among the equipment. Verse 23. So they ran and brought him from there. Listen to this. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Why was this man hiding? Saul was tall on the outside, but very short on the inside. He was a big man physically, but very small. So nobody ever identified that this man has need until he made a shipwreck of his life. I don't know about you. Many of you don't have sympathy for Saul. I always have sympathy for the guy. You know, many of us will have sympathy for David, you know, the young upstart who decided to kill Goliath. And Saul meant well. Unfortunately, he, for some strange reason, he made some terrible decisions. In fact, that's the issue of grace. One of these days we'll talk about that. How grace can make a big difference between some two people who are messing up almost to the same extent, and one is allowed to go, the other one's not allowed to go. So I have sympathy for that man. Saul had needs. He had needs. Up to the extent that if we had to be consulting, you know, uh, demons and all the rest of that. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. Also, having established that people have needs, and so if you have needs, might be emotional, might be physical, might be material, might be spiritual, it's not the problem. But how did the Lord Jesus Christ respond to needs when he was here physically with us on earth? The Lord met every need or he redirected people to the right kind of need that they should put on top of their priority. But never for once was the Lord indifferent to the needs of people. There was a time that people were hungry. They, he's been preaching for a long time and he decided to tease the disciples. He said, let's find food for them to eat. Jesus Christ our Lord knew what he was going to do, the Bible says. 
And in Matthew chapter 14, verse 16, Matthew 14, verse 16, he clearly said, give them to eat. They are hungry. Feed them. Another place, he redirected them. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 3, he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? And his righteousness and all these things shall what? Shall be added unto you. So, even though he did not deny that people had needs for food, he did not deny, deny they had needs for clothing, he did not deny that they had needs for one thing or another, but one thing is sure, he said, your needs will be met. Just reorder your priority a little bit. And then if, you, if you are, you know, a student of psychology or general, you know, sociology or whatever, you, but I heard about this thing called the hierarchy of needs, Abraham Maslow. And I'm very, very, very quaint and very precise. I, I didn't have time to check his background, whether Christian or not, God can use anybody. But he got to reasonably right. He said the greatest need of all human beings is what? Their physiological needs. Eat, food, sleep, you know, and visit the right places that you need to visit so that your system can be clear. Amen. And um, I know, I, I tell you, when, when you've seen people that couldn't visit the right places for their needs, you, you'll be sure. If a person is, just can't pass water, you, I've seen quite a few. I mean, you see people bawling, you know, crying, adults. And at, at that time, you can't tell the person, you know, there's a money waiting for you somewhere. You can't tell the person there's a deal waiting for us in China. You can't tell the person that, you know what, there's a great job waiting for you in some big oil company somewhere. It's not interested. Just let me ease myself. That's the highest need in his life. Then the needs move up from there. It then moves on to, um, what's, what's the first one that we mentioned? Physiological needs. Then it moves to security. Security. I hope I remember all of them. Security is that everybody wants shelter. Everybody wants to be safe. Everybody wants a, a, a certainty for tomorrow. That's why whenever we get that letter, it's not for today that we are worried about, but how is next month going to be? That's the next need. That's why, you know, when people talk about, you know, years are passing, you know, this issue of marriage is not yet started. Out. It's not just about today. Yes, partly about today, but how is my last days going to be? And so, security is another one. I think it moved on to, what was that? I think, esteem, eh, love, yes, love and living, and then to that, to esteem, and then to self-actualization. That's the one I always remember. But forget all that for now. Put all of them together. That's where I'm going. If we were to suggest one overriding thing, driving every one of those things, whether physiologic, whether security, whether esteem, whether love, whether whatever he says, or whether all the examples we've given, if you are to use one particular emotional cry in the heart of every human being, what would that emotional cry be that everybody's looking for? Eh? Love, yes, yes, good. But love will give you something else. Love in itself is not an end. It will give you something. What? Eh? Fulfillment, good. Fulfillment itself will still give you something. That's eh? Joy. Can you break joy further? Because I'm breaking everything. Love will give you fulfillment. Fulfillment will give you joy. What, can, what will joy give you? Peace, okay? Or right, you can keep breaking it down. And peace will give you joy. So you see that almost the first level of the cry of every heart, and that's why tomorrow addiction is outside because people are looking for what? Joy. People get drunk. Every form of addiction. That substance addiction, emotional addiction, whatever people are addicted to, is joy we are all looking for. But thank God, thank God, Jesus promised. He did not make excuses about it. He said, we give you joy. (laughs) Come on. 
You know, he didn't even tell the disciples. He said there was a place in, in Luke chapter 14, I think beginning from verse 1. He said, I could see that you are sad. He said, but don't worry, your sadness will turn to joy. That's my Jesus. You know, some people, they will tell you, why are you sad? What's wrong with you? Human beings will tell you, are you the only one? Human beings will say, don't you know what I've gone through myself? May that be a paradigm shift for you as well. He said, I'm learning afresh. I'm learning afresh. You know, because it depends on where you are coming from. The way you experience life, you tend to make others to experience life the way you experience life. I experience life from a very, you know, don't loving, but very, very gently pushing, get on with it. And many of, many, the older generation, or, or, you know, we, we, I know the opposite end of it is now. We condone everything. But that's a good middle place to be. Somebody's still following what we're saying. So there's a good middle place to be that we can empathize with other people. We can have a feel for what they are feeling. I may not be working in your moccasin yet, but I know that there should be something about that place you are working. You know, I was having a long discussion with my wife. She said, when we travel together, it's the time for us to have a lot of chat. And we talk about something very deep. And that's about confidence. Do you know that many people, more than you can imagine, they are lacking in confidence. And when we began to tease it apart, we began to look at that areas of our own lives that we are not even confident, you know. <laughs> you know, there are people out there that you just say, what's wrong with you? There are people giving testimony. I mean, I should have put her hand around Diola when she was just, you know, and uh, maybe she forgot, you know. Should I just put her around her? She was just like jelly, I could see. She was really shaking. And that, that's a huge thing for her. So we're talking about needs that are in the life of people and Jesus is about to meet needs. Somebody listening unto me. But we said the overriding need in the life of everyone is joy. Everybody wants to be happy. Is there anybody in this room when he's happy, he's not happy? I'm happy. I'm unhappy that I'm happy. It can't happen. Even the sadists, they draw their happiness from being sadistic. But the end product is still joy, is still happiness. Hallelujah. For somebody here today, your days of joy are just about to start. You know, our general pastor used to pray one prayer. And I used to think in my own mind, you know, when elders, when they say things, and you don't understand, don't say you don't agree. You keep it in your heart and you ponder over it until you understand. That's wisdom. I'll teach you how, for another day, we'll talk how to deal with that. You will always have things that you don't understand at that time. And God can modify it for you and make it fit. And when he used to pray one prayer, he said, you will not weep again. I used to wonder, why not? Believe him, it's a good prayer. You can live life without living a life of sorrow. I believe it in my heart. Except for godly sorrow, which was repentance. And usually, immediately you finish having that sorrow, you enter into greater joy. May I pray for you as well. You will never weep again. And people are crying in their hearts. We have needs. We are Christ. We are all come to one thing. Joy, joy, joy. We don't want, just want to be down in the dorm. We don't want to be sad. We don't want to be whatever you want to link it into the hierarchy of needs of man. Joy is the main thing. So how does joy affect our lives? Number one, it releases strength to us. When you are joyful, strength is released. You know, we put joy as the last level, but out of joy, a lot of things will go out. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. It's a fairly well-known verse. Where then he said to them, Nehemiah that was, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, hallelujah. Is anybody troubled about that yet? Don't be worried. 
is in moderation, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. Amen? For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow. Tell it to the air. Do not sorrow. And I will not sorrow exactly. Somebody saying it for his own hearing, for our own hearing. Do not sorrow. For the joy of the Lord is your Where joy is, strength comes. You're quite aware, I believe, that most of depressed mood that people go through, doctors, the first level they will use to identify it, or one of the first few, probably about the first five, that cuts across every form of depression, mild to moderate to severe, the first manifestation is weakness. There's loss of energy. A person that can get up and go before wouldn't get up and go anymore. And so when joy comes, strength comes. And we can't go forth without strength. And God is promising that if you have been feeling that, difficult to wake up in the morning, feeling so immobilized, not even willing to try anymore, that when joy comes, strength will come back again. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, a very good story there. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 11. You know it fairly where Jesus Christ, our Lord, was ministering you know, uh, by, by the lakeside, and people were pressing on him. They wanted to push him into the waters. And um, suddenly the Lord asked in verse 3, uh, verse 2, and he saw two boats standing, Luke chapter 5, verse 2, standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Amen? Come on, church. Are you still with me? Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him, Simon that was, to put out a little from the land. And he, Jesus, sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. Amen? Amen. Remember, they said that the fishermen were washing their nets. Is that okay? End of day, they're not going to try anymore, but we knew that from the end of the story. Verse 4, when Jesus had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Verse 5, but Simon answered and said to him, that was to Jesus, Master, we have toiled what? All night, and what? Caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will net down the net. Now, it's not just at his word that he was speaking then, but at the word I had earlier, we probably has given him joy. The man tried again. He could not have tried, but something happened unto him. Something changed in his heart. And it, it didn't pull any resistance. That was much of a resistance, to be honest with you. That was a very timid resistance. Anywhere at your word. Which word? Was it the one you have just said, London? Definitely. Could it have been part of the word that has been speaking that brought joy to his heart? That's why when you come to the house of God, you hear the word of joy, and you go and try again. You go and try again. You go and try again. You're going to write it again. You're going to study it again. You're going to, you know, try, try, try again. Because when joy comes, it releases strength. Number two, when joy comes, it relieves us from stress. Doesn't only release us, um, it doesn't only release strength to us, it also relieves us from stress. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, the man was terribly stressed there. That was the prophet Habakkuk writing to the Judah uh, part of the Israel kingdom at that time. And so the man was saying, even though the fig may not burn, uh, even though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, though the labor of the olive may fail, though everything may look so stressed and painful and ugly, verse 18, he then said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. 
And through that, strength will come back to him. Stress will go away. You know, some little good news in your life can rekindle the fire in you. I shared with you before, there was a time in my life, everything was just one story after another. And I was going for something as simple, where it was simple to me at that time. I was going for a driving test. And in those days, I think I've told you, how many years now? 1994, 20 years or thereabout. But you during the driving test, and those of us that did it, those that are older than myself did it earlier, it was probably even easier than when I did it. How many do you do now to do, get a driving license? Two or three parts? Two parts? All right, pray they don't turn it to three or four. When we did it, just one. You will drive around town. There's no theory, no nothing. When you get there, the man will bring a flip chart like that. He said, which sign is this one? You say, he say, if red, he will ask one question, I will show you one chart. Question he asked me, he said, when um, you had a traffic light, and then the red goes, what color comes after that? What color comes after that? Well, I said green. <laughs> uh, Grace worked for me, he passed me. <laughs> We do not precede the prayer that I said, Lord, I just, I just can't even afford another fail. I just can't even fail driving test again. And God had mercy. And that joy came. And I started moving again, and things started unfolding, and I started moving forward. You got what I say now? God will release joy to us to relieve stress in our lives. You know, I'm so tired of, I don't know about you, we should all be tired of this bad, that bad, that bad. Something good is coming. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Where are we? What are the two things we have said that Joy will do for you. Yes. All right. So it releases strength to us and it also what? Relieves stress. It relieves us of stress. And also, on practical terms as well, I hope you know that some of the diseases or some of the complaints we go to our GP for, this back pain, they don't know the x rays, uh, this low back headache or whatever, uh, they don't run all the tests, they can't find anything. Most of them, and I'm not talking conclusively, but most of them are talking as a Christian, you know, with a good knowledge, well, more than average knowledge of medicine, tell you comfortably, most of them are either demonic or depressive. And they are all, most of the time, especially the second part, they are mostly due to stress. And stress usually is from constant life barrages. Everything just coming your way. But when joy comes, it releases us of those things. And we come out of them. Finally, what is the number, number three thing that joy will do for you? It repositions us for significance. It repositions us. for When joy comes, the sense of hopelessness will go away and we begin to look up again, ready to work in significance. Ready to work. Everybody wants to matter in life and I pray we shall matter in Jesus' name. Very quickly, to conclude, what is the role of worship? In a life filled with joy. Role of worship. Number one, worship takes the emphasis away from you and places it on God. Amen. It does what? Takes the emphasis away from you. And where is the emphasis where you are worshiping? Why should the emphasis not be on you? Simple, because I and you, we are too flawed. F-L-A-W-E-D. To focus on ourselves. Because if you are to look at your ability to make it in life, you will get discouraged. No matter how hard you've tried. If you study for exam before, you read cover to cover everything. Just about the time you go in, I hope you still do that. The last exam I did 20, 25 years ago. 
When you are going for any exam, we've been warned, don't take that textbook for the last time and read because you're going to confuse yourself. You will always come across something that you have never read. That's to tell you that you are flawed. I mean, I had a guy in my set. It was one set ahead of me. I shared that with you before. This guy, we did, I think we did 11 subjects or so. He had distinction in nine. I'm not talking about just ordinary distinction. This, nobody gets distinction because I do. They don't. You just don't because how are you going to write it? This guy wrote four questions out of five. They gave him 80%. I mean, it's an enigma. Yeah, yeah this guy has got so many issues that you won't want to be like him. Human beings are too flawed. Worship God. We are too flawed. And that's why I don't know the reason why anybody should be arrogant and proud. Whatever your strength is, over at the mountain of weaknesses in you. What are you talking about? Oh, I can raise the dead. Oh, thank God for your life. Maybe at one anger will show, us, show you off. Maybe one indiscretion will make everything to look like ordinary. When you worship God, it's just not about you anymore. It's just, just about him. And therefore, stress will go. Strength will come. And we can be able to move forward by the special power of God. Amen. In Romans chapter 7 verse 18, Romans 7 verse 18, the apostle was saying there, how flawed were he said, for I know that in me, uh that is in my flesh, that is in my human being, not in my spirit saved, nothing good dwells. Amen. For to will is present with me. I want to do it, but how to perform is what? What is good, I do not find. I just can't find the strength of it. Number two, when you're worshiping God, is scares the enemy by the declaration of the goodness of God. The devil doesn't want to hear that God is good. I hope you know that's what he did in Genesis chapter 3. Can you still hear me? I think I'm moving very fast. Can I slow down? I need to slow down. All right, okay. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. That's, that's, his tactics have not changed. They call it the law of first mention. The first way a particular personality is presented to you, especially the eternal personalities in the Bible, either God or Satan, that is exactly the most important part that they want you to know and everything will be feeling. That is the way the devil is. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. That is, what God says will happen will not happen. Why? Because God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes what? will be open and you will be, be like God, knowing good and evil. God is hiding something from you. It's not good. It's, it's, God is deceptive. And he, he will not tell you like that. He's clever. And what he will tell you at night is that with all this one that I'm serving God, Lord, where is your face? When that starts coming to your life, that verse is almost getting real. And we need to be careful that verse 6 does not take place. Because verse 6 is where Eve then believed it. When you start feeling that, when, and that becomes persistent, Lord, with all this thing I'm doing, I'm paying this, I'm serving this, I'm doing this, I'm righteous, I've not slept around, why is it blah, blah, blah. Once that starts coming in, the plan of the devil is nearly fulfilled. Reject it. It's lying to you that you are good, but God is a little bit less than good. And you cannot allow that. But you focus on him, you worship him, and that wouldn't have a place to be. Number three, in worship we receive from God. Amen? We receive testimonies. Have you heard this morning? We receive word from God. In John 15 verse 11, the Lord Jesus Christ said clearly, he said, these things I have said unto you that my joy may remain in you. Amen? I've said this thing. That every word you are hearing so that your joy, my joy may be in you. And then later on when in chapter 6 says so that your joy may be full. Number four, in worship, we transcend the terrestrial, the carnal level, and move 
to the realm of possibilities. Acts 16.25, when the apostles were praising the Lord, Paul and Silas to be specific, they just discovered that the atmosphere changed. They left the realm of the terrestrial and they moved to the realm of the celestial. And that's what's going to happen this evening as we gather to worship God. You will just see ourselves being transported from the other level. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning from around verse 17, when this man, Jehoshaphat the king, was faced with problems, he asked for the prophet. The prophet said, what God wants you to do. Oh, the prophetic voice have gone out ahead as well. What God wants us to do is praise. Then we will be transported from the terrestrial to the celestial. From the impossibility to possibility. From the low to the high. From the place of defeat to the place of victory. It's never failed. Church or scripture, where people really, really worship God. Jericho went for that as well. And that's what worship does. So, in closing, what next? Number one, make sure your worship is not the worship of a stranger. Be a child, amen? (laughs) And be a friend. You know, when I say worship of a stranger, God, God can hear anybody talking, but he's, he's not enthused. Look at it this way. The most important compliment a child wants is the compliment from the parents. I hope you know that. So parents, a quick lesson for you. Make sure you attend their presentation day, you attend their sports day. Every clap means nothing to them except your clap. Aha. Uh-huh. So the same thing with the Lord. And vice versa too. When your children get to the point in which they compliment you, there's something about you. If you are not a child of God, whatever compliment, whatever worship you are giving unto him is that of a stranger. So number one thing that I must be a child of God, in truth and in deed, it's not even by lifting up your hand today. You know it in your heart. It's one thing for somebody to pray for you and say, just check. And doesn't take long. Lord Jesus, I release my heart unto you. You can do it where you are. And he knows. And right there and then, that transformation will come. And we shall be new creatures. Number two, what next? Propose in your heart that your altar of worship will never be out of fire. You can easily do that, can't you? That you make up your mind that your altar of worship will never be out of fire. And grace to do that, the Lord will give unto you. Rise up with me if you may, please, just for one minute or so. And we just say, thank you, Lord, because your hand is mighty upon your church. We give you honor. So if you, if, if you need to pray the first prayer, just pray it on your place where you are there. God knows every heart. He's able to fix you. Or you've probably been a child before and it seems as if you are walked away from home. The father is always waiting to, for you to come back. But you need to come back. You know, the father didn't go and force the prodigal child, but the child came back. <laughs> so people are talking about sovereignty of God. That you know, once you are a child, or if a child walks away, the father will be longing for that child. We only pray the child comes back. If that child didn't come back, nothing will happen. But you can come back today. Amen. But if you're already in the house and you thank God that his hand has kept you, why don't you make a solemn pledge? Father, I will worship you all my day. My altar of praise will never run dry. That's a simple prayer. And I will just pray a closing prayer on that one. Is somebody calling on the Lord? Commit yourself unto praise. Commit yourself unto worship. The centrality of worship, what? In a joyous life. We want our lives to be joyous and our lives shall be. But one thing, one thing is that we must stay in the place of worship. We must stay in the place of worship because that place of worship, strength will be released. Because when worship joy will come, we yield our hearts unto you, Lord. And we pray for special grace to be worshippers, worshippers. 
The time is coming when the true worshiper they shall worship him in spirit and in truth. And now is the time. Now is the time. So Holy Spirit divine, please move in this place right now. Let your mighty hand rest upon your people. And just as a confirmation that you have us in heart, there's somebody here, the right side of your eyes is paining you. You know, it's like throbbing. There's a particular problem the doctors say you have there. It might be glaucoma. I don't know. It didn't give me the details, but you have mainly, not talking about, you know, short-sightedness or any of those things, but definitely something affecting your right eye. If you are there, lift your hand. Let me identify you so that I know God bless you, sir. So put your hand on that eye. Another person, put your hand on that eye, sir. Hallelujah. Anyone else upstairs? Okay. Father, by your spirit and by your power, your spirit has declared it. I ever ask Holy Spirit divine, touch your people right now. Touch your people right now. Let the virtue of life and healing flow and heal every one of those eyes in the name of the Lord Jesus. And vision and clarity and healing is released upon you right now. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Father, this is our commitment to worship you. This is our commitment to live for you. This is our commitment to use the rest of our life as nothing but as worshippers. So, Lord, the strength to do and the grace to carry it through. Release unto us, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't want to rely on our power because it will only last a few hours. We want the grace that will last us all our days. That heavens will recognize us and know us as no one else but worshippers. That grace, let it rest upon each and every one of us, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. And let the joy fill the house. You will no longer sorrow. I said sorrow is banished away from us in the name of Jesus. The joy of the Lord shall be our portion all our days in the name of Jesus. Everyone that wakes up in the morning with a sigh. Very soon, beginning from tomorrow morning, by the special message of the Lord. We will wake up with a song in the name of Jesus. No more sighing, but singing. No more sorrow, but celebration in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it shall be a new dawn for each and every one of us in the name of Jesus. By the word of the prophet, the Lord brings Israel out. And by the word of a prophet, he took them in. By the word of proclamation, every sorrow and, and, and pain are banished from our lives in the name of the Lord Jesus. Receive the joy of the Lord. Receive the joy of the Lord. When it's been a long time that you had a real big news that you are looking for, from tomorrow you will begin to hear such news in the name of Jesus. And the King of Kings will perform it, and his name shall be glorified in your life. Thank you, eternal rock of ages. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.